I'm going to move the question over to Mal Lopez now, and uh, please go ahead with your questions. Thank you, Donna. Hi, Tom. Hi, Mal. Hi, um, Tom. Um, I have this uh, this question. I, I am intrigued because as I've been studying and practicing MBT, I suddenly uh, remember that uh, the experience when when one has a general anesthesia. I don't know if you have gone through that. Uh, I've I've gone through general anesthesia like three times in my life, and uh, I am very curious because as as I can remember, uh, I mean one thing is that when we are awake, we are experiencing whatever goes into our consciousness, the data streams that come from the eyes, the ears, the nose, whatever, and w while we are sleeping and dreaming, we are receiving a different data stream, all right? Okay, but mm -hmm. when we are in under general anesthesia, uh, I remember that you are just shut down. You you don't receive any data stream whatsoever. Uh, I don't remember anything about that. I, I don't remember even being like in point conscious, consciousness or something like that. You just shut down and the next moment you wake up and you don't, I don't remember even having a sense of, of time passing. So that led me to, to, to question myself and say, well, do, do we depend on the avatar to, to have any kind of data stream coming into our consciousness? Or, or what is happening here? Because under those circumstances, I feel that I just disappear. On, on this work. Yeah, well, when, when, we log, when, we, yeah, when we log on to the avatar, okay, we log on, and from then on, after we log on, what that means is the avatar's experience is our experience. Okay, we're a free will awareness unit. We log on, and whatever that avatar experiences is our experience. So, yes, we are dependent on the avatar for our experience. Uh, it's only what the what the avatar hears, sees, smells, and whatever in his virtual reality that we hear, smell, and see, because that's what we are, right? We're, we've logged onto that avatar. So the avatar can only do can only function according to the rule set. So if the rule set is such, you know, if the, if the rule set is such that uh, let's say there's um, just by, you know, kind of a an accident of biology, the rule set, say, produces uh, very inadequate brain chemistry, then we, as being logged on to that avatar, are going to maybe be confused and, you know, have learning disabilities and maybe be depressed or other things because of that, because of that biology. In other words, the avatar represents the rule set, and that rule set sets the constraints on what the free will awareness unit can experience. Can only experience what the avatar experiences. So that's how the that's how the biology of the avatar affects what the consciousness gets. It's only what the avatar can experience is what we experience. So what happens when you get anesthesia, anesthesia is that that chemical blocks the functioning of that avatar's consciousness. It just blocks that, and when that blocks that, you don't get any signals at all. You don't get any data. The reason you don't get into the data is because the avatar is not seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, or smelling anything. The avatar has a complete zero as far as it's, you know, it's rep the data that's come. The data that's being sent to you from the computer represents what that avatar is tasting, smelling, feeling, seeing, and hearing. Well, when they give them that drug, because of the biology, the rule set, that avatar is no longer hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, anything, which is exactly what you get now as a free will awareness unit. You get zero data. You see? So now when you go out of body, it's because your avatar has learned to relax, clear its mind, 
let go of the data, get into the being level, and go explore consciousness. It's only because your avatar has learned how to do those things that you as a consciousness, as a free will awareness unit, gets to experience that out of body. So, yes, our experience has to flow through the avatar, which means it has to flow through the rule set, and it has to abide by the biology. So that's what's going on. When you, when you, uh, when your avatar gets given that chemical that affects his way his, his, uh, body works, then your signal, your data is exactly what he is aware of, which is nothing. So <laughs> that's why there's no time goes by, nothing else. There is no data because your, your avatar is no longer aware of anything. And that's because of his biology makes that possible. So now you're, so that's your free will awareness unit. Now your IUOC, which is a kind of a higher level, right? Your free will awareness unit is just a piece of that IUOC. Your IOUC is not affected. It's not your IO, it's not your individuated unit of consciousness. You know, it's not your IUOC that is logged on. It's your free will awareness unit that's logged on. So your, Individual unit of consciousness can still be aware, can still be, you know, functioning, but that's not what your local consciousness is. Your local consciousness is your free will awareness unit, and that is tied into the experience of your avatar, according to the rule set that defines biology. Okay, okay, Tom. And how does this uh, experience of general Anesthesia relates to to when we die. Uh, I've I've heard uh, and I've watched some of the videos in which you talk about the experience after we die. But if if the avatar is blocked, or in the case when we die, the avatar is 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 shut down as well. Right. Uh, well, the, what the, happened? Yeah, the difference. Yeah, the difference is that when the avatar is under anesthesia. The avatar is still alive and healthy, and you're still logged on. When the avatar dies, you know, you're not logged on anymore. The avatar is dead. There's nothing to log on to. It's no longer a functioning organism. So the log on is gone, and you start immediately uh, that, that petition between you and the individual unit of consciousness starts to dissolve, starts being taken down, and that transition, you become aware of you're somewhere else. Okay, you're just aware of being in another reality frame and, and your, that petition's being taken down and very soon you are your IUOC again. And it's you as the IUOC that makes the arrangements for the next incarnation. And when it does, it makes another petition, another free will awareness unit and logs on to another thing. So when the person dies, it's not like anesthesia. Anesthesia, you still have a live, healthy, you know, avatar there that you're still logged on to. It's just that that avatar now has no sense data. All the senses have been cut off. Doesn't have any awareness of any sort. And, uh, but as long as it's alive and healthy, you're going to be logged on to it. Unless, let's say they're in some kind of permanent coma. Let's say they had uh, brain damage. They uh, got an overdose of drugs or, uh, Something happened to them, and their their brain was damaged to the point that the body can still live on as long as it has some machine pumping the blood and doing the breathing and stuff. The body can live on. Well, in that case, you might say that they could extend that coma indefinitely. But the probability that that person will ever come back from that coma nears zero. Okay? And they can do that. They'll look at the EEG. And they say if the EEG is like silent, there's nothing going on there, then they know that that person will never come back. If the EEG is still working, then perhaps, you know, they'll be able to regain. Maybe the coma will last for a year, but they'll come back out of it and they'll be able to recover. But once the brain activity all goes to zero, they figure that there's nothing coming back. There's nobody in there anymore. And that's exactly what happens. Once the probability that that entity is going to come back goes to zero, then that uh, even if the body is still chugging along, that uh, partition is taken down and that uh, free will awareness unit 
progresses on, you know, back to the IOUC and starts over and gets in another incarnation. So that IOUC could have another incarnation going on while the last incarnation was still had a live body in a coma. In other words, they don't stick around. The, the free will awareness doesn't stick around for five years, you know, in a coma, not doing anything. It leaves. It goes. So that's the same as death as far as the consciousness system's concerned, as long as the probability of its coming back is very small, goes to zero. As long as the probability is, well, in an hour, the anesthesia is going to wear off and they're going to come back just like they were, well, then that, that uh, connection remains, you know, that log on remains. But when that probability goes to zero, then it goes away. Okay, Tom. And following this logic, what what do you think would would happen if someone is uh, really in connected to an, another PMR? Okay, uh, you're connected to another PMR, uh, and then. And then you, someone puts you under a general anesthesia. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it shouldn't have any effect on on your other PMR experience, right? Oh, I see. If you're if you are having two experiences, you're in two PMRs at the same time. Right, you're in right. PMR one and PMR two, so you're here in this physical reality, but you're in some other physical reality as well. Yes. Right. Those are those are both independent. So there's two. It's the same IUOC has split off two partitions, one for each free will awareness unit. So there's actually two partitions that have been split off. So you have two free will awareness units pulled out of this one IUOC. So what happens to one in one uh, PMR doesn't have any effect on the other one. Two different free will awareness units. Okay. Same well, IUOC. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, mm -hmm. can, can I ask another question, Donna? Or sure. Have, oh, okay. Well, thank you. Now the other one is just uh, as well, just out of curiosity. Uh, I was thinking that um, if you have any thoughts about the practical reason that could be behind that we live in a very uh, uh, complicated PMR. Uh, in this sense, for example, we come here to to learn to evolve uh, towards love. But why do, do we need billions of galaxies out there in the sky? I mean, we could okay. be just, in, just with the moon and the sun. What do we need the rest of it for? Or yeah. why do we need millions of animal species and plants? And we could do well with Two, three uh, plants and two animal two. species, and I mean to learn. Okay. Two, yeah. two different two different questions, and I'll give you two different answers. Okay. The billions, the billions of uh, galaxies and trillions of planets and suns and all the rest of it, they're not really there. Okay. They're not. Uh, if there's nobody there, then there's no data streams going out there. They don't really exist. Reality, our reality only exists in the minds of the players. Okay? That's it. So if we, let's just say, for instance, that we humans here on this planet are all the players. There are no other players. We're it. And if we're it and we're all the players, then all the rest of that stuff is never computed. Except when somebody looks, they see little points of light in the sky. They'll see patterns of things, and they only get that in their data stream as long as they're looking, and as soon as they turn off their telescope, none of it's rendered anymore. So the only, the only thing that's being rendered is by sending the player's information. That's how really you render stuff in the virtual reality is by sending information to players. So if we're all the players, then the rest of the universe is never rendered, except when somebody looks through a telescope, or we look with our, our eyes, we see a bunch of points of light. They look at the telescope, they see a higher definition of those points of light, and that's it. And as soon as you turn away or the sun comes up and you no longer have points of light in the sky, then they're not being rendered for you anymore, not in your data stream. You see? So <clears throat> there's no waste. 
there's no waste at all. It's just a few bits. Each point of light costs maybe uh, two bits or so to define it, and that's it. So it's not a waste. None of it's computed. Now the other question: Where'd all the where'd all the species? You know, why do we have six millions different insects crawling around? And that's because that's just the way this rule set evolved. The rule set was, you know, it started out right with a ball of plasma under high temperature and high pressure, and it expanded and it became a universe, and within the universe became a planet, and all this is done in the computer. It's all just statistics and things in the computer, but it has this rule set. And under the rule set, there's this planet that had the right stuff to create life and or the system started that, gave it the right stuff, and it evolves. But it evolves however it does. So it starts with amoebas, you know, single-celled things, and then multi-celled things, and then cells with specialization, and it built whatever worked. Evolution says if it works and it can find a niche to live here, it can stay here. So whatever worked is what we got. So just evolution created all that stuff. And they came long before we did. There were, there were insects and little things, you know, swimming around in the, in the seas long before there was anything out walking around on the land. So eventually stuff walked around on the land and eventually it ended up looking like us. But all that variation is just there because the rule set supports it. And that's, that's the only reason it has to have. The rule set says it can be there. That's why it is. Now, other things may have evolved under different rule sets and different conditions. But these were the conditions that were and the rule set that we have, and that's what we got. So we end up with, you know, rattlesnakes and, and uh, other things that you see. Well, what's the purpose of that? Well, it's just there because it is. It's just it, because it could be. It just evolved because that was a possibility, and evolution fills up all the possibilities that can, that can uh, survive. So that's why we have all this stuff uh, like that. But as far as the outer outer space goes, it's never rendered. The reality, our physical reality, only exists in the minds of the players. So if there aren't any players out there, then there isn't anything else out there either. No data streams going anywhere but here. Then this is all that's necessary. And then that gets back to a question of how many seats does this simulation need? You know, the larger conscious system has has these uh, these um, simulators, you know, just like flight trainer simulators. This is an entropy reduction simulator, but how many seats does it need? After a while, the overhead for maintaining the seat is more than you get back from filling that seat. Right? That's just simple economics. Always works that way. You know. You know, if two is if two's better and ten's better and a thousand's better, eventually you're going to get to a number. You know, a hundred billion is not better because each one has to be has overhead of providing it with a data stream if it's going to play. Well, what do you get back from that hundred billionth seat? Not much. Doesn't change things much. Whether you had that seat or not wouldn't make much difference to the system, but it costs the system something. So you see, there's some sweet point of where you have enough seats, just the right amount that you get maximum return from that investment. If you get more seats than that, your investment return goes down because each one still costs you overhead to maintain. So there's only a limited number of seats that are necessary. So how many is that? How many IUOCs does the system need to optimize its lowering of entropy? Well, I suspect that uh, it doesn't need that many. You know, it doesn't need a, you know, a billion billion seats. Probably doesn't, you know, you know, doesn't need but so many seats. So there's a good chance that we're it. We're here. Reality, this physical reality, with all of its stars and galaxies and things, which are just data. When somebody looks in a telescope, they get the data. It only exists in the minds of the players. And all the players might be right here. Or not. We don't know exactly what those system numbers are. But that's a, it's an idea.
Okay, okay, Tom. So, and lastly, if, if we manage to, for example, what we see right now, like a spot of light, which is a star, our way star, and it's, as you said, it's probably two bits of information only. That's okay. all we need for the moment. But if we manage to... That's all we need. If we manage to go someday, some someday with a spaceship there, then the system would have to render that star in more detail. Uh, exactly. Bigger star, or uh, exactly. Maybe. Or even if we don't get a spaceship, we just get a better telescopes, and now we can see, oh, yeah. you know, real close. We can see details on it. Well, now it has to render whatever's there, and it renders just that just like it renders anything else. It takes a a random draw from the probability distribution of the possibilities of what could be there based on the rule set and history, and that's what's there. So that's what it renders. And it just, otherwise it doesn't have to render anything if nobody is asking for that data. Okay, okay. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. And Next, we have Polly, who has a couple of questions. Please go ahead, Polly. Thank you, Dina. Hello, Tom. So, uh, well, my first group of questions uh, is titled Meditation, Control of Mind, and Struggle with Falling Asleep. Uh, I ask these questions because recently I'm uh, often having trouble with falling asleep. I think it is due to some strong intent connected to observing the process of falling asleep to learn uh, how I can let go of my body uh, and of PMR at will. I hope these three short questions of mine, uh, will, which I find important, will help clarify the issue. Uh, you don't have to uh, answer each uh, question separately. Maybe you can sense the general theme. So first question. For many years, I have had control labeled as bad, especially in the area of meditation and mind. Uh, recently, I changed my view, and now I see uh, control of mind and of my consciousness to be essential responsibility and essential ingredient to have a fulfilled and happy life, as well as being able to explore NPMR. Am I seeing this correctly? Um, well, okay, maybe. Okay, I can, yeah, yeah, let me, yeah, I can, I can answer that one. The control, the control you need, Polly, is the control that's necessary to let go of control. <laughs> uh, what I mean by that is that, you know, you don't want to control your mind in the sense that you're in control of everything you think, obviously, or your control of everything you experience. That would put you in a bubble that would limit your thinking and your experience to just what you could think, right? So now you're walking around in this little bubble and you're in a, you're in a trap. You don't have a very rich environment. You you create all of your environment. So what you need to do is to let the let the consciousness let go of control and just be. But in the process of that being, it needs to know itself, what itself is. It needs to be able to be active, to be quiet. It needs to know you know, that it, it's appropriate for it to go heal great-grandmother but leave something else alone. You know, it, it has decisions and choices to make. And it has to make these intuitively based on its sense of whether or not it lowers entropy or not. So we we let that system do that without... How can I put it this way? Without controlling it arbitrarily, okay. If we, we, the reason that it decides to heal one and not heal another because one of them seems like it's a good thing and the other one seems like it, that illness is a good thing. You know, the, the person's going to learn a lot from that illness, and we should maybe stay away from that one. That has to be a, a decision that's made intuitively from a gathering, from the consciousness kind of gathering all the information. It gathers it out of the databases. It gathers it from other consciousnesses. It just gets that whole thing, and intuitively it knows the answer of what to do, or it does the best it can with that. 
So in other words, it's a holistic thing that's still making choices. It still, it still has decisions and choices to make, but it's not making them intellectually based on limited sets of data. I don't know whether I'm being clear or not. So in a sense, you do want to let go and not be in control. On the other hand, you need to, you need to allow the processes to become whatever they are. So your idea is that control is a bad thing is right in the sense of your intellect controlling everything from its own little small view, trapped in its beliefs, trapped in its fears, and it's controlling everything else. You want to let that go, and that's a bad thing. But the fact that you will have to make choices based on information, you can think, well, in a, in a sense, that's, that's control. I want to make good choices. And I want to control those choices, but really it's not control so much you, you want as you want to get rid of the constraints that inhibit those choices from being holistic, intuitive knowings from gathering information from everywhere. So you want to eliminate the constraints is the thing. So now you can use your intent, let's say, what we just talked about uh, earlier with Ingo, you, you can use your intent let's say, to help open yourself up. So I told him, use a positive intent. You know, I am going to get over this. I can do better. I can face this black thing, and it will work. And that is you trying, in a sense, try, you can say, well, that's him trying to control the situation. But I'd rather see that as that's him trying to let go of the stuff that is controlling it now, which is anxiety. You see? so. It's a, it's a way we, we use the words. I'd say that, that really the control you need is the control that you need to let go of your intellect controlling everything. Mm-hmm. But you can use your intellect to do that. Your intellect can, can use itself to teach you how to go beyond the intellect and tell the intellect to sit down and be quiet. So the intellect's a tool, and eventually that intellect will still be your intellect making choices, but it won't live in that fear, belief, ego space. It'll be part of you at the being level. It'll be part of your intuitive space. That intellect now is a more general thing that gets its information from many sources, not just physical sources, and it chooses from a, from a knowing and assessment of all the data that it can, makes its choices, and then learns from them, looks at results and says, well, was that a good choice or not a good choice, and then changes things as it, as it grows, as it learns. So yes and no. So as far as control goes, depends on how you see control. Control out of your intellect puts you in a box and makes your learning slow. So bad, that's bad control. Um, the fact that you can use your intellect to help you let go to help you be positive, to help you open yourself, to help attach you, you know, help your, your intuition grow and your ability to connect to bigger pictures. You can use your intellect as part of the process to get there. But as you do that, you're really, as you, as you succeed in doing that, you're really letting go of that fear-based intellect and letting it dissolve into a, a being-based awareness that's not fear-based. Okay, so that's really what's going on, and that's kind of the thing with the with the con, with the control. Control is a good thing and a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. You can use this this control to get rid of control, because you can say, "I want to dismantle this machine. I don't want this machine, you know, my intellect to make all my choices, because my intellect just really doesn't know much, and it's mostly being run by my fears and my ego and my beliefs, and it gets in the way all the time. So I don't want that control. I want to." Be bigger than that. So when you let all that go, basically the absence of control from the fear gives you a a sense of choice making from a larger space. And uh, I just call that not an intellectual space, but it's still a thinking space. It's a more connected, more uh, generic space that you live in. 
But it still doesn't mean you know everything. It just means that you make the best choices you can and you learn from them. But you do that without the ego and the fear and the beliefs. So I don't know if that helps any, whether that – I guess that's a that's an answer that you can only understand if you've been there in the struggle and can get it. Most people probably think that was just double talk and it didn't mean anything. But it uh, hopefully you'll find some coherency in it. Yes, I, I do. Thank you, Tom. And uh, maybe one question that was on my mind for a very long time, which I didn't dare to ask, is um, um, I have had a lot of uh, interesting experiences over the years, uh, also thanks to your model, which opened my eyes to the possibilities. And uh, while at the same time having, uh, well, let's say evidential experiences, and still struggling with these sort of things like control and meditation. I don't know where I'm at. I mean, it seems to me that uh, I do have uh, intellectual capabilities when I'm uh, in MPMR, but at the same time, uh, when when you described also now uh, the, the issue of control, it seems that I'm a beginner. So I don't know... Uh, what I should focus on? Uh, should I really focus on the first steps as a beginner, or am I uh, am I just uh, I don't know? I'm I'm lost here. I mean, am I really uh, just a beginner? What's your sense of me in this in terms of uh, letting go of intellect and uh, having the uh, deeper deeper level of intellect uh, uh, in out of body space? You know, you're like most people. You're you're struggling with understanding things, you know, from a bigger perspective. You know, it's, it does. It goes right back to the same control thing. Like you say, you tell people, well, first thing you have to do is learn to control your mind. You have to control all those thoughts so that you don't have thoughts flying all the time. That's why you have to meditate. You know, to learn to control your thoughts. Well. We use that word control, but we're not really, we don't want to really control our thoughts. What we want to do is stop all the junk that's coming in there and basically letting the mind be without all the stuff in the way. Though I, and then when we talk about it in our language, we say, well, we're going to control our thoughts. We're going to control, but it means we're forcing them to stay away. That's control. We control all those extraneous thoughts, but that's not really the point. We don't want to control the extraneous thoughts. We want to get rid of them. You see, it's not really a matter of control. It's a matter of outgrowing them. It's becoming something bigger than that level. Though we use the word control. Yes, first step is to control your thoughts. Your thoughts are out of control and, you know, you can't do anything else. Well, that's, that's just the language we use. But really, we don't want to control them. We want to get rid of them. And it's the same with all the ego stuff. So as long as your stuff is coming not out of the ego, not out of the fear, not out of the beliefs, then it's good. It's who you are. It's authentic. It's you. That doesn't have to be perfect. You can still be a, a beginner, and you're working on that process of becoming this authentic you that's not really so much in control as it is that it's gotten rid of a lot of the extraneous stuff that gets in the way it's not really a control as it is a getting rid of stuff letting things go um so where are you i'd say that um you know if we compare you to the average person walking around in the street you're very advanced you're way out in front because you're a serious seeker you're trying very hard to grow up and to learn and you know, you find some blind alleys, and then you back up and say, well, I think that wasn't so good, so let me try this way. But you're working on it, and you've been consistently working on it. So that probably puts you in, uh, you know, the you know the top, what, three or four or five percent of human beings who most people aren't working on at all. They have no idea that, you know, there's something more than just this physical reality, and there's something more important than just making more money. You know, that's kind of where most people are. Just trying to keep a, you know, keep a house, you know, uh, that they can go to, you know, shelter, food, you know, the Maslow's basic stuff. That's where, that's where most people are kind of stuck at. And they keep 
getting more and more of that. Uh, so I'd say there you're you're an advanced, you're way out in front. Now as far as where you could be, you know, where the possibilities that you have, well, you're a beginner. You're just at the beginning of the possibilities that you can, you know, that you will be able to, to do. And you are going to learn slowly, just as I did. I was a slow learner. You're probably going to be a slow learner too, in the sense that when you are fundamentally logical and left brain and do things by logical process and things have to make sense, then you're going to be a slow learner because you can only progress as things make sense to you. And uh, if you are right brain, things don't have to make sense. <laughs> that they are logical and make sense is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You just know that this is true. You can't explain it to anybody else. You don't know how really you got there. You're just there, and it is, and you are, and it's just like that. But you don't work that way. You have to have logical process. You have to kind of know where you're going, why you're going, and how you're going to get there. And people who have to do it that way are going to be slower. But for all that slowness they have and for all the hours that it takes them to get there, they will be able to explain it to somebody else. They will know exactly, you know, where they are and why they're there and what the possibilities are. So the the long way basically leaves you with a lot more tools at the end. The short way, just just developing the right side of your brain, gets you there in a hurry, but it doesn't leave you a whole lot of things to do with it. It just kind of you just kind of are as you are, but it's it's not much that that um, you know, it's harder, to, much harder to work with because you don't have much context for it. It just is. And without that context, it's just not much that you can do with it. Whereas if you have a lot of context, well, you can teach other people. You can explain it. You have process that they, you can help them work in, uh, you know, work with, that sort of thing. So, yeah, you're doing, you're doing very well. You're just are impatient because you want things, you want to get there. You don't want to spend five years getting there. You want to get there. And uh, you will get there in time as long as you keep working on it. It's a slow process. It's growing up and letting go of things. But, yes, control is a good thing if what you mean by control is getting rid of all the stuff that gets in the way. But we really don't want to control it out of the way. We want to get rid of it out of the way. Yes, thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it. Well, uh, the second question, I think you ask, answered that. Uh, I asked about the uh, difference between taking charge of a daydream and controlling it. So I think that's answered. And the last question. Well, well let, me, let me tell you, if you can take control of a daydream, you can take control of a dream. It's called a lucid dream, right? And then you take control of a dream. Well, that means not so much that you're controlling it. Again, it's the language we use. It's not that you're now you're going to control it, but you have just become aware in it, aware that you are, you know, conscious. Before, you weren't aware. You were just doing the dream. You were in the dream, but not necessarily aware that you were in a dream. So you're not really controlling it. You just become aware in it, and now you get to make choices in it. Well, that's not a bad thing. So we're saying control's a bad thing, but no, we're not really controlling. What we're doing is letting go of, well, we're letting go of our, of our lack of awareness. Like we're, we're gaining awareness. We're adding something to it that's valuable. So we're not get twisted over, you know, twisted up over the words. So it's, it's not really so much a control as it is you're letting, you know, you're, you're adding awareness to it is a good thing. Adding fear to it is a bad thing. So in as much as you're adding your intellect that's dominated by fear, not a good thing. As much as you are adding your awareness, it is a good thing. So when you become lucid in a dream, are you adding your, your ego and your, and your fear and everything? Well, you may be. Now if you're working it from an intellectual viewpoint, yes, that may not be a, such a good thing. Well, on the other hand, that's you. And you also add your awareness, which allows you to grow and get rid of that fear and, and that ego and those beliefs. So that's what I meant by saying what you're, what you're controlling 
is you you need to control getting rid of you know use your control to get rid of it. It's uh, it's one of these things. It sounds like a Zen cone, right? You know, the sound of one hand clapping and that sort of thing. You know, you need control in order to get rid of control, and you know that you have perfect control once you have no control at all. And you know, it sounds very confusing, but that is actually the way it works. We're stuck with an English language that doesn't always allow us to say the things that we want to say. Well, I guess you, English is a second language for you, but uh, language in general traps us into certain modes of thinking. Yes, I fully agree. And well, to this topic, um, it, in my experience, my my uh, interesting experiences uh, in MPMR are connected to some sense of uh, always being able to be conscious uh, in my dreams. It's not really always 100%, but uh, that's where I was always confused uh, whether I'm a beginner in terms of uh, having no real connection to the inner, deeper intellect in NPMR. Uh, maybe I'm just somehow bringing my uh, PMR intellect into my dreams and then I mess up things because I, I control the environment. I, 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 I never know. Uh, the thing is, I very often have dreams in which I'm aware that it's a dream. I play the game, so to speak. I don't try to control the content uh, so much. Uh, maybe sometimes when I set up some intent, but I don't do that uh, very often. And uh, that's where I'm confused because when I try to uh, have experiences about uh, point consciousness, for example, I did have many uh, answers from the system, but I didn't know whether I fabricated them uh, with my PMR intellect, which was touching the MPMR, so to speak, or whether it was a deeper answer uh, from the deeper level of intellect in MPMR. That's where I'm always lost, uh, and I don't know which experiences I get to take at face value, so to speak. Okay. So, to speak to that, you will never know for sure. Never know for sure. There's always a certain amount of uncertainty as to where something comes from. Right? Your data can come from yourself because your consciousness, you can make up information. You create. You're a creator of information. Information defines reality. You're a creator of information. Other IUOCs are creators of information because there are other things of consciousness. The system itself is a creator of information. So we have those various things, and you get data. Where does it come from? Does it come from the system? Does it come from another IUOC, or does it come from me? Well, all three are information sources. Information is reality. So your reality can be a mixture, not necessarily only one of those or the other, but it can be a mixture of all of those. So you have to give up the idea of determining for sure, 100%, where it comes from. So that's why I say always be skeptical. You know, always be skeptical of where it comes from. So you get information and you, you think, well, where did that come from? And with with some experience, you will learn to differentiate various sources. And with experience, you'll learn to trust different sources. But this takes experience, just like it does with people. You know, with some people, you get nonsense. With some people, you know, you can trust what they say and so on. So you have to get enough experience where you feel, well, <clears throat> okay, I recognize that source. That seems pretty good. But always stay skeptical. Always stay skeptical. Because just like somebody else can pretend to be your best friend that you always trust, but maybe it's just they're good at using his voice on the telephone. Or maybe, you know, you know, we watch all the movies where they pair that rubber skin, you know, over their head and they look like somebody else, you know. So maybe it's a, you know, it's a scam. You never know for sure. What's going on? The system can pretend to be anything. You know, other IUCs can also, if they're clever enough, can pretend to be things other than what they are. So always stay skeptical. And when you receive some information, don't ask, is it real? Is it outside of me? Ask, is it useful? Can I use it? 
Can I take this information and grow with it, learn from it? And that's the key. And a lot of times the answer will be, well, I don't know. Well, then set it aside as potential stuff that maybe will become more useful later as you add to it. Because sometimes all you get is one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And you look at it and you go, I have no idea what that's about. But over time and years, you'll get more pieces of the jigsaw puzzle and it'll start to piece together and make something that you begin that you can understand and trust. So don't worry about, is it real? Worry about, can I use it? And over time, you'll have a sense of building trust in some things and no trust in others, but never come to a decision that, you know, where you get rid of your skepticism. Always stay skeptical. You're always responsible for choosing what you do with the information. So that's, you know, sometimes the larger kinds of system will send you misinformation on purpose because it thinks that misinformation will help you grow up, will help you see an important point. It only wants you to grow up. And if in, some misinformation will help you grow up, it will give you misinformation to help you grow up. Often that's done with, uh, you know, it was done for many reasons, but sometimes people will, uh, will, will give up their free will to the source. And they'll start letting uh, their intuition or the source or, uh, you know, a pendulum that wobbles around or, you know, the I Ching or coin flipping or something else. They let those things make all their decisions. They can't make a choice without consulting the oracle first and finding out, you know, what the right, what the right choice is. Well, when people get that way, they've given up their free will. And often then the system will give you an answer that, tells you to take a long walk off a short pier and you need to be aware, you know, that um, it's passion. It'll give you something to get you in trouble or causes embarrassment or something else. And it's just to make you strike your free will back. There's other reasons. If your ego gets really big and gets in the way, you can sometimes be given some information that takes you down a peg, makes you do something really foolish that takes a lot of the, the you know, the hot air out of that ego. So always be skeptical of what you get. And if you don't know what to do with it, just put it aside. Let it sit there. Maybe later it will be useful and keep going. But the best thing that you've got, Polly, the thing that's really in your favor is that, You've been working on this now for a pretty long time, and you're still interested, you're still focused, you're still trying because you see yourself learning and growing and you see some results. Just not much because you're impatient. You want it to be more, but you're going to continue to work on it. You're committed. And that means to me that you will get there. You'll get, you'll get to where you would hope to be plus ten times that far. You'll get to places where you never, ever hoped to be. Because you couldn't imagine them. You just have to be patient. It'll all, it'll all come. As long as you keep with it, it'll, it'll all unravel. Thank you, Tom. That's very encouraging. Um, well, may, maybe just this last, uh, one question. Um, can you, Tom, fall asleep at will? And what is needed to be able to do that? Well, Fall asleep at will probably is pretty strong. No, I wouldn't say I'd do that. You know, in, in, in situations where I am needed, where I'm involved, where I'm interacting, I can stay awake almost forever because I'm engaged. Uh, if I want to, I generally fall asleep fairly quickly. It doesn't take me long to fall asleep. You just have to let go. <coughs> Letting go it's not easy for some people. They constantly are working on, did I do that right? Should I do this? What about the other thing? They're working on things, and when they do that, when their mind's active, then they don't fall asleep. Or if they if they do, they, they get in kind of a half sleep. But um, I generally just relax, let go, and in a very short time, I fall asleep, typically. 
Now, it wasn't always like that. I've been through periods of my time when there was under a whole lot of stress and things were going on with my work and my family and other things were going on. It was really hard to let go. You'd say, all right, I'm going to let go of this. And there it was. It was right back. So I've been there and done that where it's been hard to fall asleep. Usually don't fall asleep until just about a half an hour before you have to get up. You know, for some reason, the system is very... Uh, you know, has a very uh, a mean sense of humor there. You fall asleep and you say, oh, it's 5.30. The alarm goes off at 6 and then you fall asleep. But you struggle all the way through the night till you get to, you know, 5 o'clock or 5.30. But anyway, uh, I get, you people go in and out of phases of that. Depends on what's going on in your mind. But if you get to where you are okay with everything being as it is and that you're just going to deal with it, and not needing it to be any way, with you have certain expectations, it's much easier to let go because it doesn't matter. Wherever it is you are, whether things are going good or going bad, it's okay. You'll deal with them. They'll still be here tomorrow. You know, you'll deal with it, and it's okay the way it is. It's like you get to a point where there are no bad answers. They're all just things to deal with, and you can learn from all of them. And when there are no bad answers, then there's really a, there is no anxiety because bad, potential bad answers is what causes anxiety. So I'd say that's the thing to let go of is just to you know relax. It'll all start again in the morning. Plenty of time to deal with it then. For now, you just need rest and let it go, and you'll find sleeping's easier. But if you've got something in your mind, something intention that some way you have to have it or that you want it, that will keep you awake. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, Polly, for bringing your questions here today. Thanks, everyone. We've come to the end of the fireside chat, and I'd like to remind you that a link to Oliver's website where you can donate money to the server that he maintains for the fireside chat will be there, and I'm sure he would appreciate it. It is a lot of work and a lot of time on his part. And I would appreciate you doing that, and I know Oliver would. I know many of you appreciate the questions and the time that they all spend here on the Fireside Chat, and we hope to see you all the next time. Thank you.